Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of the Born to Talk radio show on Thursday. I'm so excited, and my guest today is Dr. Azar from the Genesis Medical Center. Welcome to the show, Dr. Azar. Hi, everybody. Thank you, Marsha, for having me on your show. I appreciate the opportunity, and hopefully we can be of benefit to your listeners. Well, I, I think this will be a show of, of great education benefits. I know personally I am very interested in what it is that you do at the Genesis Medical Center. But before we really get into that, and I know you are a managing partner there, could you just tell us a little bit about your background and how you first became interested in becoming a doctor? Uh, my background, initially, I'm uh, someone who was born in Afghanistan. I came to this country when I was uh, four years old as an immigrant, and um, I started first grade here in uh, Los Angeles, California. Um, I went through my primary education in, in the LAUSD USD school system, and I made my way to Loyola Marymount University as uh, for college, and I did biology and biochemistry and psychology, and eventually I got into medical school, and I did a program, uh, combined program at UCI and University of Cambridge and at St. Matthews University, and then finally I came back and did a uh, postgraduate training at University of uh, Arizona out of Tucson, and finally I made my back uh, my way back into Southern California, and now uh we're here in Orange County, California, and, um, you know, the educational road was very long and hard, and uh, as you know, with most professionals, it's not easy, and uh, there's lots of obstacles, but, uh, you know, you persevere, see it through, and uh, get to where you got to go. Absolutely. Did you always, I, I, it's very interesting, because my son and daughter-in-law work at the University of Arizona, and I live walking distance to LMU. So we have some crossovers in our background. Um, did you always know growing up that you wanted to become a doctor? Um, not always, no. I had a appendectomy at the uh, when I was about in seventh grade, I think, seventh grade, and I had a real bad um, pain in my lower abdomen. And so what had happened was my parents took me to the children's hospital and, you know, they kept me there two days. They couldn't figure what it was. And eventually I had a surgeon come in by the name of Dr. Gailani. I remember him very vividly. And uh, I think that uh, after I met he had the most impact on me. And I saw his capabilities and his bedside manner and uh, and the relief that he gave me after my surgery. And it was at that time in my life when I decided that medicine would be for me. And I would take that mm-hmm. path. And uh, wow. that, that was the turning for me. 
it, it's I've I've had other guests that have said similar things where they've had a personal experience and and it opened up their eyes to a career which I that's that's fascinating. It, it really is great. What are your areas of expertise? So our areas of expertise uh, is in integrative medicine, and it's a branch that comes off of internal medicine. Integrative medicine is fairly a new uh, science. Uh, if you know Dr. Andrew Whale from Harvard, it's the guy with the big white beard. Yep. Um, he goes around and studies how populations uh, age uh, with longevity, and he studies different types of methodologies and uh, uh, modalities that people are are, are utilizing to stay uh, alive longer and healthier longer and have better quality of life. So integrative medicine deals with that aspect of human beings and their quality of life. So we look to methods which we can utilize that doesn't have a lot of side effects and yet has a lot of benefits and improves quality of life. So that's how, you know, I got into this. And um, uh, you would look at acupuncture as one of those modalities as well from Eastern uh, mm-hmm. traditional Chinese medicine. And in India, they do Ayurvedic medicine. And it's all in the, on the same lines. And now in the U.S., we call it integrative medicine. And we have MDs and doctors that specialize in it. And they take the... The, the good from both uh, the East and the West. They take the good practices and combine it and come up with uh, protocols for their patients. Well, that's really, that's very interesting. Uh, why, why did you decide to be part of the Genesis Medical Center? Well, um, what, what happened with myself personally was um, about six or seven years ago, uh, I, there was a recommendation made for me that I needed total hip replacement on my left hip. And at the time I was 37, 38 years old. And, uh, I told my surgeon who's one of, uh, you know, the best surgeons in, uh, Cedar Sinai. And I told him that, you know, I'm too young to get a complete hip replacement. What are the alternatives? And, uh, they encouraged me to get the surgery rather than look for alternatives because, you know, that's all the options that we have here in the U S. So um, I kind of researched it. I found a doctor in uh, Dusseldorf, Germany, who did uh, non-surgical treatment of joints. And I kind of studied that uh, protocol. I talked to the doctor several times, and I set up an appointment, and we discussed things. And he had a very good protocol with uh, what's known as platelet-rich plasma, PRP, and stem cells to uh, rehabilitate the joint. And I took that path, and I got treatment, and it worked for me. And once that worked for me, I decided, you know, uh, more people need to have access to this. And that's how I got involved uh, with Genesis, and we came up with the idea of Genesis and exclusively providing treatments that can, uh, you know, help all the clients without surgical intervention. Oh, this is so so interesting and i think that it's not just the older that we get that that this can be useful but i can see the applicable um uses for everyone from this kid last night from duke that you know flew through his tennis shoe 
to you know these, yes. these young athletes to 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 everybody in between. So I'm very excited to hear about some of the 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 services that you provide, and I'd like to just sort of jump into some of them right now and become educated. Can we start with stem cell? We call, you call it stem cell therapy, right? What exactly stem cell therapy? So basically, uh, you know, our bodies, we have stem cells that are inherent with us. We're born with stem cells. And these are the progenerator cells, like basically the mother cells that make our organs uh, replenish and rejuvenate. And they have our our bodies function. All All our organ systems, they function properly due to our own inherent stem cells that we have. But with time, these cell these cells are dormant, and they're stored in our fat in our fat cells, and or in our bone marrow, and they they they're stored in our body, and as needed, the body utilizes them. So our treatment with stem cells involves getting stem cells from the bone marrow or from the fat cells, and then we utilize them for possible joint disease possible autoimmune disease, possible Alzheimer's, possible autism. They have a, a wide range of utilities that are being studied in different universities under clinical trials currently. And uh, across the U, uh, U.S., that's what's happening. Across the world, there have been studies and there have been, uh, I think, a, a longer usage of stem cells. Um, we're kind of behind right now but we're catching up now finally um there's places like germany and switzerland and brazil uh that are using stem cells and they've been using them for about 20 25 years now so um really treat you know these types of uh problems where you could categorize it into three different uh uh sections which is your joint disease your autoimmune disease and then you have neurocognitive uh, to break it down, neurocognitive is your Alzheimer's, your autism, your MS, anything that has to do with the nervous system and the brain. And then you have your autoimmune diseases when your own body attacks itself, whether you have lupus or rheumatoid arthritis or, so, or some of the muscular dystrophies. And then you have your um, joint disease, which is all your joints, your bone diseases. So whether it's just a shoulder, a rotator cuff, the muscle tear, a meniscus in the knee, uh, a weak hip joint, um, you know, ankles, carpal tunnel. It works for all these different modalities. So um, it just depends on your particular condition and what your doctor um, and your history and what your doctor comes up with with the protocol. So we have protocols for all of these things, and we've been doing it for about uh, three to four years now here in uh, at Genesis Medical Center. Well, you know what's what, what's interesting to me, and I and and I may have this wrong, but many years ago, I would say twenty years ago, <clears throat> I was working at the YMCA, and one of our members okay. had a, a a young daughter. I mean, like in her twenties, that had been diagnosed with cancer, and they were wow. looking to do stem cell, and I went to UCLA to have my blood drawn to see if I was a candidate. is Do I have that memory wrong? Would, would they have been doing that that long ago? 
Or was it a bone? You know yes. what? I bet it was a bone marrow transfer, maybe. Now that I'm trying to remember, yes. it was so long ago. Exactly. That's How? probably what it was. Because they were seeing I, so, if your blood matched the HLA type. Yes. So that, that's right. what's commonly done in the U.S. Okay. It's been so, commonly done in the U.S. And uh, mm-hmm. many people bone marrow transplants because some people have the um, blood cancers. A lot of the blood cancers and the bone cancers get treated by what, what's known as stem cell implants they do. So they I check see. the blood, and then if, if it matches, they put new stem cells into the patient to, in the hopes of getting new healthy cells that come from the bone marrow and from the um, blood cells. Okay. That's interesting. But yeah. when we're talking about the therapies that you're providing, and, I, and, I, and I've taken some notes, and you have a wonderful website, and I might just ask people, I'd just direct people there right now because perhaps they'd like to even be looking at it while you and I are speaking on the phone. They can simply go to Genesis, and that's spelled G-E-N-E-S-I-S, med, M-E-D, center.com. So it's Genesis Med dot com i mean dot center dot com and people can can easily find you there and see some of the things that that you are doing when it comes to gosh you know you you talked about you know i noticed that one of the things that you've also mentioned on there is diabetes and pancreatic issues does that follow under the autoimmune category yeah so diabetes is a disease of you know you have islet cells in the pancreas that don't produce a specific product. So it mm-hmm. is a, it's a functioning of the body, which is not going correctly. So there are protocols that we have to kind of reset and rehabilitate those cells. And that's done I with see. stem cells that are, that are um, introduced into the area. And um, the stem cells uh, innately or by design, you can say they they attack the areas of inflammation in the body. So that's the good thing and the mechanism that needs to be studied further, and there are studies being done. But they do uh, attach to the inflammatory areas of the body, and they try to repair them and alleviate the symptoms. That's what they do. Sorry, I keep interrupting because I'm so excited. Well, I'm I'm sorry. I apologize for interrupting. So, I understand now what, that they're like working to to improve whatever this condition is. But how do you get? Where do you get the stem cells from? Do people volunteer, or do you do you use your own stem cells? How does that part work? Yeah, for the most part, we get it either from your fat cells, your own fat cells. So, on average, thirty to fifty cc's of fat contain greater than a hundred million stem cells. So Whoa. what happens is a, a, a simple, there's a simple liposuction per, uh, performed with a syringe and, uh, and then the fat is taken from your um, love handles or wherever you, had the, you have mm-hmm. the most fat, there's 30 to 50 cc's taken and then it's purified and the stem cells are extracted and they're introduced back into the area of pathology. So uh, that's the most common type that's utilized here in the U.S. Wow. 
So how many? How okay? So let's just let's just let's use um, a hip issue or something, an ortho, orthopedic issue. And now I've come to see you, and you've now extracted these stem cells um, by this liposuction, and now you've purified them, and now you're introducing them back into my system. Typically, and I, I suppose it ranges, it's not typical, but how how many sessions would it take to improve one's condition uh, with stem cell treatment? So it depends. The variables depend on the patient and uh, how long they've had the, the uh, problem and whether it's acute or chronic. And then also we take into account your own health and uh, if you have other, uh, other processes of disease going on in your body, the healthier you are, the, the, you have a better reaction and a recovery uh, from your ailments with the stem cells. So, uh, and also, you know, it depends on what type of uh, intake of food and alcohol and medications you're on. And those things all have a, a, a effect on the healing rate, I would say. Interesting. Is it possible? I don't even know if this is a possibility. But can we self-cultivate our own stem cells from bone marrow? Um, can you repeat the question again? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I guess what I'm going to be curious to know is can we, can we cultivate our own stem cells and bone marrow for self-healing? So I don't your know body, if that's possible your, even. Yeah, your body continuously utilizes your own inherent stem cells that you were born with in your body to repair and regenerate your own tissues and your own organs because that happens in the biological process. But mm-hmm. there are dormant stem cells in you, in your fat cells and mm-hmm. in your bone marrow, that can be extracted and um, frozen for further use. Interesting. So that, that and can people volunteer? Can people? In other words, you have a friend that has a hip problem. Your 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 son or your daughter has a hip problem. Can right. I, as the the mother, can I help by also donating stem cells for them? Do you take volunteers yeah, so to help to, their families? Yeah. yeah, they would. What we what what will have to happen is to make sure that there it's matching and there's a match. And then once if there's a match, then we could utilize those stem cells. So there has to be okay. a HLA typing and a match. I see. For those types. Well, it's 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 really remarkable because as I'm looking at your site, and I'm okay. seeing that you have everything from hair loss and vision problems as well. Yes, Hello? there have been a number yeah. of studies. There have been a number mm-hmm. of studies that show that, uh, um, and they're ongoing. I think UCI has mm-hmm. a study as well as uh, um, UCSF on uh, macular degeneration of the eye and stem cell yes. u- utilization, improving that. That's ongoing currently. Um, so there mm-hmm. are modalities that uh, that enhance the eye and vision. Wow. That's fast. That's just, it's just fascinating. I mean, what you're doing is just fascinating. Let's let's talk about platelet PRP, platelet-rich plasma therapy, and the kinds of things that 
what, what, let's let's identify. Maybe I I'm I'm a person that likes like a glossary of definitions. So maybe you could just explain to me what platinum platelet. I'm sorry, platelet rich plasma. What is that? What does that mean? So platelet rich plasma is a blood product from your own blood, and basically the way uh, we can uh, think about it is that. Uh, it's your own blood product. We take, we draw your blood, we spin it in about 3,500 revolutions per minute in a centrifuge, and when you spin the blood, products go to the bottom of the of the uh, of the of the center of the uh, of the tubule, and then you, on the top we get this golden juice, or it's sometimes it's reddish pinkish, most of the time it's golden, and that is the hmm. platelet-rich plasma. We take that. And that has all your good factors from your blood, all the defensive factors. It has cytokines. It has everything that you would need for healing. And we would take that and we would inject that into a joint that's discomforted or that's painful. And what that does is the platelet-rich plasma, what it does is it lubricates the joint. It also uh, modulates the pain. And it provides a healing on the cellular level. It alleviates certain symptoms that you might have. Wow. Wow. Well, that's really, that's, that's, I could see where, who are some of the people that you would see for that? Do you see, do you see a lot of athletes so, that come? Yes. Athletes regularly get PRP on their joints for maintenance. They don't want them to deteriorate. So once they mm-hmm. get that uh, PRP, they keep coming back for more every six months they get it if they're actively on their joints and they're, they're stressing their joints. Also, some of the people that do CrossFit and are weekend warriors, they also yes. benefit from PRP because uh, you want to maintain your joints. Once you're above 40, 45, um, you know, it's a wear and tear game. The more you utilize your joints, the more wear and tear you get the more problems you'll get with them. So it's better to kind of seek out treatments like PRP so you can kind of uh, rehabilitate and keep your joints from deteriorating. That makes that makes sense. I'm, I'm looking at your page, and I see that one of the conditions that you heal is plantar fasciitis. I've had that, and anybody that's yes. had that, understands what it's like when you get out of bed and your heel hits the, the carpet or the floor and you oh feel like you God, just yes. stepped into a, a pin cushion where needles are just yeah, going up into your heel. It, and, it, and it hurts. And, and you feel, I, you, I, I'm a sports fan, so I'm familiar with a lot of athletes, both men and women basketball players. I don't know if baseball players get it as, as well. But it is very painful. So... If, let's say you have that condition, plantar fasciitis. Then what you would do is you would draw the blood, you would um, yes. spin it, that the waste product goes to the bottom, you've got the golden juice up at the top, and then would you inject yes. it straight into my heel? Is that where it would go? Yeah, so, so the doctor would actually give you a little bit of uh, lidocaine, a little bit of anesthetic yes. first in that mm-hmm. area before the injection of the PRP just to numb it up because it is going to be a very sensitive area and then yes. they would inject the PRP. 
in the area of wow. inflammation. Interesting. Because the PRP is That's... anti-inflammatory and it causes a, uh, uh, a healing reaction in, your, in that area mm. that you injected in. That is so, that is, that's really, that's really amazing because there are so many um, conditions. I mean, I'm just thinking about in my own family, in my own son that, that deals with, right. with, and has been dealing with chronic pain for so many years. And, wow. you know, I, I'm, I'm not, I am not, I was not familiar with this and I can't wait for, for, for the show to conclude and to tell him, this is my son at U of A, and to tell him that maybe there are some other options. I know we, we may get into um, pharmaceuticals at some point, but it just feels like a place to throw this in here right now. So often today, when you are in terrible pain, pharmaceuticals and opiates become the doctor's choice. And that's what you're given and we have such an enormous opiate crisis in our country today and my son was on steroids opiates anything he could do to control his pain and um, he's no longer on them I am so grateful that he's off of them but it's just the fact that there's this alternative I'm that's why I'm just so delighted Dr. Azar that you are joining me today because, frankly, unless you are a researcher, and I know that a lot of people that suffer with pain, they're going to go to the Internet and they're going to see what is the Western medicine approach, what is the Eastern medicine approach, what, what can I do to alleviate some of this pain. And when you recognize that one of your symptoms is sitting up here, it just stands to reason that if for no other reason you would want to investigate that. So this PRP, that just... That just sounds lower back pain. I mean, that just sounds like something that so many people could benefit by. And that kind of takes me over to my next question, frankly, and and that is addiction because clearly um, a lot of these opiates are addicting. Um, um, You're dependent on them. But there are some new treatments out there now for addiction, and I thought maybe you could talk about that because that's something else that Genesis also provides, right? So I'd love to hear what you're doing in that regard. Yeah, definitely. Um, just to wrap up the PRP, the good thing about yes, PRP please. is that it it does not have any adverse side effects. So it doesn't actually, you know, uh, thin your bones out or it doesn't affect the muscles in a negative way. So it just, it just mm-hmm. helps build your your uh, your uh, vasculature and whether it's muscle or bone or whatever it is in that area, it cushions it. So it doesn't really cause any damage. So that's the important thing. And then it doesn't have any addictive properties, which you alluded to. Um, as mm-hmm. we know, you know, we're sitting in a uh, what's been a, a a real national emergency, which is the uh, opioid crisis. And yes, uh, sad if you look at the statistics. Uh, in the Midwest and in Ohio, West Virginia, there are morgues that are filled with young men and men and women, and uh, they have been victims of this opioid crisis, and they've they've taken opioids and narcotics, and you know they've lost their lives. And I think it's mm-hmm. very important for us to realize that if we do have a injury, or if we do have some surgery, 
but post-surgery, we're given some narcotics, Vicodin, hydrocodone, whatever it is, that mm-hmm. don't take it unless you absolutely necessarily have to have it because these mm-hmm. things are addictive. Um, I just had a lady this morning we talked to, and after four days of uh, ankle surgery, you know, she was on this narcotic and she was taking it regularly, and she felt that she needed to take it. So she was already on the addiction path. So it's very mm-hmm. important to recognize the signs and symptoms of addiction and kind of stay away from it and pick things that are mm-hmm. non-addictive. A lot of the doctors, fortunately now, are doing non-opioid pain treatments because it's become very risky and people are have been, uh, you know, abusing these drugs. So with our treatments, in terms of our addiction and uh, uh, recovery, what we do is um, we have uh, a rapid detox that we do on people that uh, want don't want to do the uh, in-house detox at a facility. We do a rapid IV detox for them with NAD, and uh, it takes four to five days, and they're on an IV drip, and they slowly... Uh, get their body to come back to a normal state, not dependent mm-hmm. on the chemicals. So uh, mm-hmm. we do that, and then we also do um, medically assisted detox with the uh, uh, what's known as suboxone therapy. And then there are some people that have the option of doing the methadone clinics, where they go from a from from a stronger opioid, they go to a lesser opioid, and slowly, stepwise. Uh, the doctor will take them off of the uh, opioids and get them and mm-hmm. wean them off because their body has been yeah. um, used to it. And then with that, we have psychological and uh, cognitive behavioral therapy as well that goes hand in hand with the addiction therapy. It's very important that uh, there's a support group and there's a uh, yes. intensive outpatient protocol uh, that's set up for these people that go through the system so that they have support and they don't fall back into addiction. You know, it's it's really interesting, and I'm a parent, so there, I, yes. let's make that clear as well. Um, some words take on a connotation that's different from others, and so in the case of my son, we we never used the word addicted. You know what word we used right. instead that just softened it? We use the word dependent. We use the word that he was dependent on it, and it involved when he ate and, you know, everything that goes along your system with opiates that, and I'm I'm saying opiates, but it's opiates, isn't it? I'm not really even saying the word properly. But so many internal things happen to your system when you are taking that medication and even if you don't shop the doctors and you are doing everything precisely as your doctor ordered, the reality is uh-huh. is your pain is so severe that all you want it to do is go away. And right. and as as a family member, it, we recognize the dependency. And really, we we as a family were talking about an intervention or something that we could do to to make this change. And fortunately for him. He he got off of the Oxy and the Percocet on his own, which was pretty remarkable, to be honest with you, and um, yes. and we're really proud about that. But you have something that I thought 
I'm looking at your website again because it is so fascinating and so rich with information. I'd like to talk about this implant that just sounds really quite remarkable. Could you spend some time talking about that? Yeah, so uh, we also have the option, some of the patients that come in, uh, they get on a shot, which is called Vivitrol, and the shot you have to get, you know, once a month. Initially, some of them start once a week, and that shot, uh, when they get that, it prevents them from having those uh, cravings and kind of stabilizes mm-hmm. the individual. So some people don't comply well with that shot, so then uh, there is the option of the pellet. Now, the pellet is something which is put under the skin, and it's embedded in there, and it's closed off. It's deep inside. And um, usually it's done for um, uh, a period of three months or six months or nine months, depending on the stage of the, uh, uh, of the dependency. So typically mm-hmm. um, that offers more compliance, and uh, the individuals and the clients, they stay on that because it's something which is, which it's a slow-release pellet, and it's in the body under the skin, so it's with you. So it's totally. Okay. So you don't have those means... moments of weakness. I see. And so, um, so that's, that's a way of, it's, uh, it's a way of getting off of, the other drugs and having this provide you with with effective pain relief, or is it to help you get off of your addiction to the opiates? Is yes. it, what What is the function? Yes. Is it to get you off the opiates? Yes. It, it replaces those receptors where you would want to take the opioid drugs. So it, it, it actually affects you in terms of decreasing the cravings for the drug. So nowadays, there's another use of it too. They use it as something called contrave, and it's used for weight loss. So it actually decreases the of overeating. So they use it for that as well, the same uh, family of drugs. So um, it's, it's, it's very good, and it's something which is uh, utilized for a lot of the people that can't comply with the injections. And uh, right. it's working very well, and uh, you know it it helps people on their way to recovery, and it's a it's, it's a very good uh, synergistic tool for that purpose. I think it's terrific, and what I know what I'm what I'm curious to just be clear about is whether you're taking fentanyl or Dilaudid or any of these oxy, um, while you're getting off of that craving that you've just described and you're no longer taking that oxy or that fentanyl, is it, is it yes. at the same time providing you some pain relief at the same time, or is it just getting you off of the craving of wanting the drug? Exactly. It's, it's mostly used for the craving, and then the doctor will also look at your other, other symptoms and will uh, prescribe you uh, milder things for pain, for example, or whatever other condition you might have concurrently. But mainly the the palate is utilized for uh, the cravings, you know. Got it. stabilizes you and it doesn't, doesn't let you have those symptoms. Okay? So you wouldn't probably be 
taking this pellet, as you've just described, which sounds like a wonderful way of getting off of this craving, and at the same time, between PRP, would you? Uh, you know, I'm trying no, to I'm, figure out. I'm, yeah. Yeah, PRP is more for, uh, you know, the joint pains that people utilize for, and that's a local mm-hmm. treatment, whereas this pellet is a systemic treatment. It slow releases into the blood system, and it decreases your cravings for opioids and, and narcotics and such, even alcohol. I see. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Well, it's it, it's it's a terrific um, um, way of approaching your, you know, your quality of life. I mean, really, when you get right down to it, everything that we've been talking today, all of these health issues, really really do affect the quality of your life. And if you're in pain, and I realize, you know, people will say on a scale of 1 to 10, where do you sit? You know, maybe you're a 2, maybe you're an 8. But regardless of where it is, if it's affecting how long you can sit in the car to drive or how long you can stand at your job or how long you can just, you know, enjoy the aspects of your life, whether it's travel, whatever it might be, it's just terrific to know that there are options out there where you don't have to suffer. And I just, I'm, I'm just so um, um, enthusiastic about what it is what you do. And I, I would like to, to actually, because you offer so much, I, I'd like to move over to another um, area which I've had a, quite a bit of, um, I've had quite a few guests. In fact, I'm going to have a guest next week that has autism. Um, and I would I would like to know how how that works in in the autism world. What what is it that you can do to help a parent that son or daughter has been diagnosed with autism? How does that work? So uh, Duke University has the largest study on autism and stem cells, and uh, they I think this, they're on their third year of the study and their clinical trial, and many people uh, with children that have autism have applied for it, and they want to get uh, treatment there at Duke University, but they've closed the study, apparently. And oh, um, they're now, I think, uh, 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 collating all their results. And um, what they've seen is, from the people that they've treated with stem cells and autism, they've seen a, I think, uh, I don't want to uh, state the percentage, but they've seen uh, a vast improvement in cognitive function as well as social interactions in uh, in their study uh, with their uh, clients who suffer from autism. So it, 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 it's very promising, and people are 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 actually. Um, uh, lining up for that study and calling and wanting to be part of that study, but I think they've closed it now, and uh, now they uh, they call clinics like ours and other institutions that have treatments for autism specifically following that particular protocol. So I see. In terms of yeah, in 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 terms of physically, you know, um, uh, autism is getting to a proportion of, you know, you can't call it an epidemic, but the numbers and the incidents are increasing every year. Mm -hmm. And especially Mm -hmm. in states like Arizona 
and Nevada. Um, you know, the number of hmm. kids that are being diagnosed is increasing. And um, still there's a debate going on whether it's nature versus nurture and whether it's environmental factors or whether it's genetic factors or there's a predisposition in familial inheritance, genetics, and all that. That, that, that is yet to be determined. But the fact is that we're getting these children that are, you know, having these symptoms and they're in line with, you know, the spectrum disorders. So yeah. many people are looking for ways to combat that other than just the drugs that they give them to focus because the drugs have a lot of side effects and uh, unfortunately um, people don't do well with the drugs. So mm-hmm. one avenue is that we have been getting a lot of uh, uh, people asking about autism and uh, treatment for uh, with stem cells. And, uh, you know, we follow that pro- protocol that Duke University does, and we've seen some good results as well. Um, Wonderful. We have, yeah, we have many people that uh, inquire about it. And, uh, you know, the best thing for people uh, is to educate themselves, make informed decisions, and really become aware of all the modalities that are out there for, for therapy. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we help them, you know, come to a decision whether it's right for them or not. I see. Well, that's, that's the, I, I'm actually, um, it's interesting because next week, um, I, maybe I'll just throw this in here right now because we're just talking about autism. I'm having um, a father and his son, um, Derek and Dylan Volk, on my show next week, and Derek has written a bestseller called Chasing the Rabbit, A Dad's Life Raising a Son on the Spectrum. And Dylan, his son, has written a second book called Bad Choices Make Good Stories, My Life with Autism. And he, they are fascinating. Uh, That gives me goosebumps yet again when I'm going to be talking to these gentlemen next Monday, this coming Monday, frankly, on my show about about autism, and um, Dylan, the son, not only has he written this book, he's a comedian. He actually gets on stage, and uh, he's just a remarkable guy. So for those people that are listening that have young children with autism, you know, there is a spectrum, as you as you mentioned, and there are certainly um, ways, and my show next week will be about that subject. But taking back to you and, and our show with you, the the next thing I wanted to talk about was acupuncture because that's something else that you offer as well, isn't it? Yes, yes. We have acupuncture, and uh, as we know, acupuncture has gained popularity. And even the military now, you know, a lot of the soldiers and veterans that are coming back now from Afghanistan or Iraq or hmm. the Middle East or wherever they're coming from with their pain syndromes, at Walter Reed now, they have acupuncture regimens that they go through first, and uh, wow. they don't put them on these opiates, which is great. So for a lot of mm-hmm. the pain syndromes, acupuncture alleviates the pain and is very effective, and uh, uh, it does wonders for people. So I think it's, it's, it's a modality that, that is up and coming, and people are utilizing it more and more, especially for pain syndromes. And mm-hmm. uh, it has good efficacy. It has very good efficacy, and they stimulate the opioid receptors. It gives you this. It gives you the same effect. So um, there's something to be said for that, and uh, and there are uh, a, more and more acupuncture schools going up and around the U.S. 
So people mm-hmm. are actually choosing that as a career as well. So you don't have to go does to, it hurt? you know. Child. All those needles, does I've it hurt? So it's not the average gauge needle. It's it's, it's a very thin, flimsy uh, uh, piece of metal, and you 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 feel the poke, but it's not like 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 a needle that you would feel through a vaccine. It's very okay. different the sensation. And then hmm. um, it's sort of like a. Some people describe it as an electric sensation. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they'll get a they'll get they'll get an acupuncture needle. For example, in their in um, in their in in the hip or in the in the shoulder, and they'll feel an electric mm-hmm. sensation going in the area further down, and it does alleviate a lot of their uh, acute pain that they've had. Interesting. Gosh. Wow. It's it's it, 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 there's a lot here, and I I think that in the last few minutes that that we have together, I think that. It would be um, good to talk a little bit about, I know that this is, you know, based on opinion and research, um, but do do you feel that there are just too many pharmaceuticals and that people are just being overprescribed? Has that been your, has that been your realization? Well, yeah, I mean, when you see the numbers and you actually look at them, you know, unbiasedly and you see that, you know, in these small states, there's billions of prescriptions and millions of pres- prescriptions, and there's only like 100,000 people in a town. When you see that, it's kind of shocking. And I think uh, 60 mm-hmm. Minutes did a whole report on that. And if you look that up, you really get the extent of, of the crisis where, um, you know, these, these places um, are getting overprescribed. And you wonder what's going on and how is this happening in uh, modern-day America, and, you know, we're one of the most advanced nations in the world, but yet there's not enough oversight on basic harming the public. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, tra- tra- tragedy is losing a loved one, too, you know, uh, opioid addiction, you know. It's really sad. It, um, it's very sad. I don't want to... I, I, I hope that this isn't an, an inappropriate question that you may or may not want to answer, but I, it comes to my mind, so yeah. I, I'm going to ask it. I remember, now we're, now we're going back, you know, many, many, many years ago um, when, okay. um, when medical marijuana was um, a, um, something that cancer, people get it taking, um, you know, treatment for cancer, chemo particularly and the, and the and the sensations that you got with chemo i can remember you know 25 years ago or longer where you know you couldn't it, med, i don't think medical marijuana was necessarily even legal in those days but and i i don't i don't i i just i don't like i said this is probably like i said an inappropriate question because i don't think that that's something that you guys do at your at your um Genesis Medical Center, but I, I know that certainly that is in the in the scheme of discussion of opiates, you know, you do certainly hear quite a bit about um, the use of marijuana as well, don't you? Yeah, I mean, marijuana, you know, has historically been a, a gateway drug to other things. It's yes. a milder form, and unfortunately for uh, adolescents and teenagers and 
young adults, it becomes that gateway drug. It's a, you know, mm-hmm. they do marijuana and then it's not enough and then they, they jump to something else. So it's not going to help our, our societal situation. And um, what we can say now is, you know, there are some benefits to medicinal marijuana uh, on the, what they call the CBD oils. And right. the CBD oils are very anti-inflammatory and uh, if it's not just for pain, you can use CBD for, um, you know, anti-inflammatory functions, and a lot of people like it mm-hmm. and utilize it, and it doesn't have the mind-altering functions. So right. that part of it is good. But, but I think anything that that kind of mind alters, it's going to have uh, detrimental effects later on on the body and its system. So, you know, our, that's, that's... We're, we're always taught, to, uh, as as doctors, we're taught, you know, do no harm. So we try to right. uh, live, live by that principle and, and kind of improve people's qualities of life. But at the same time, we don't want to do harm. And whether it's a harm Correct. through a drug or whether it's harm through, you know, malpractice or, you know, doing excessive surgery or anything, we don't want to do harm. Mm-hmm. We want to benefit our uh, uh, clients and we want to benefit society in general. And that's, I think, part of the reason why, many people become healthcare practitioners in the first place. I, I, I would agree with you. Have you been able to work with patients to really help reduce their prescriptions? Uh, is that part of what you're doing as well when you're treating them in your center? Yeah. So typically um, when we get senior patients, we find this in seniors mm-hmm. a lot, they're 65 and over. They come into uh, the facility, and uh, after we do a consult and everything, they sit with the treatment doctor, and usually they have 15 to 22 medications that they're on. So a lot of seniors, you, you find them in this situation, and you'll ask them, hey, why are you on this? Why are you on that? And they're like, well, I've been on it for five, six years now, and no one has changed it. So I think um, mm-hmm. medication management is very important, and that's one of the things that our doctors do at our facility is that they go over the medications and see whether um, the, the, the patient should continue to take this or not. Um, mm-hmm. All primary care offices, I think, should do that and aim to do that, but they might not have enough time with the patient. But one thing that sets us apart is that we do have time and we make time for our clients and we spend time with them and see exactly what's going on so that we come up with a customized way to treat them, a customized uh, protocol so that they get better. Um, A lot of people are on excess drugs that they shouldn't be on or that they've been on too long and no one has actually looked into it to see if there's a change needed. So it's very important to uh, ask your primary care review your medications and make sure that what you're on is what you're supposed to be on and to titrate the doses to make sure the dosage is correct and to make sure that everything is uh, basically prim and proper and, and the reasons why you're on those medications are, are relevant now. Mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a perfect important. example. I think I've been yes. taking the same blood pressure medication for 30 years, you know, I, so I, mean, wow. you know, I, 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 I know I, and it's like, well, but my blood pressure, when I go to the doctor, my blood pressure is in great shape. So I tell my, I tell myself, well, there's a reason for that because your medication's working. 
But I think what you're right. arming me with, well, I think what you're arming yeah. me with is, do I really still need it? Do I really right. still need gabapentin? Do you know? I, I could I could give you the list right. of my medications too. You know, it, it's my thyroid medication. Certainly, I, I think it's. I think this is just a fascinating subject, regardless of your age and your particular condition. I think what you're doing is you're just opening up the the doorway to other ways of thinking about our own personal health, and and I and I really appreciate that. Have you spoke with doctors directly about reducing patients' prescriptions? I, I mean, do you have that dialogue yeah. with physicians? Yeah, I think a lot of doctors nowadays are very aware and they're uh, looking to do the best for their patients and they are um, trying to manage their medications and not have them on, having them on things that they're just used to being on. So a lot of mm-hmm. doctors are actively participating in their patient's health. But nonetheless, it's very important that you as a patient be in the driver's seat and actually, you know, uh, kind of uh, look into what you're taking and why you're taking it and how long you've been taking it and what's the what's the normal dosage and what's an excessive dosage. So you have to become aware. When you're aware and you ask questions of your doctor, they too will pay more attention and they'll be more actively participating in your health care. It's very important to engage your doctor on that level and uh, you will surprisingly find that they will... Uh, uh, oblige and you know uh, uh, engage with you on a, on a on a very nice level, and you would like that. It will be surprising. So you have to take the yeah. driver's seat mm-hmm. again. I think that that's that's you know like you said you know um, you if you're fortunate enough as I am to you know have Medicare and to have a supplemental and to have good health insurance because we haven't even talked about that, but you know certainly wow. health insurance plays a factor, right? We all we all need it. Um, medication, you know, it, these these things are expensive. Drugs are expensive. Um, but I think that what you've made me think about just in my own personal life is exactly what you said. You know, I've been taking the same medication. I'm just like you know, renew my medic. I mean, I this is I'm not I you know I'm not trying to say I have a a doctor that isn't interested in my health. But I think what I heard you say is taking the driver's seat and just saying, you know, it wouldn't hurt for you, Marcia, just to kind of investigate a little bit about this. What if, what if indeed you could lower, you, you don't weigh the same that you weighed when you first started taking all this medication. Perhaps, right. perhaps your weight uh, attached to this, you know, you, you don't weigh as much. Maybe you don't need as much, you know. So it, it, it is, it's really an interesting, interesting subject. Our health is so important. And I just, you know, and and I think about people today and and um, Alzheimer's and and dementia. And, you know, I there was a, an article um, in the paper about a week or so ago. Just come kind of moving over to just quickly about that subject one more time, talking about the occurrence of women over men and um, what it's like it to you know how many women. 65 and older are suffering from dementia. It was just, it was a staggering amount. And I was, what the thought that came, went through my mind was, is is it more prevalent in the United States as opposed to, say, another country altogether where maybe like Italy or someplace where, or a place where they have a diet that's more Mediterranean and it's 
fashion. You know, I, I know that we don't have a lot of time to talk about that, but I just was wondering what your opinion was about, you know, um, Alzheimer's and diet and all of that. Yeah, so basically Alzheimer's is like the diabetes of the mind, okay? So what happens is hmm. that the uh, linings of the of the uh, arteries and vessels in the uh, brain sort of get clogged up. With, and people come and experience what's known as a, they call it a brain fog. They don't have clarity of thought. Mm-hmm. They have mm-hmm. uh, memory loss, whether it's short-term or long-term. And um, they don't, they, they say that they don't uh, function uh, in terms of their brain activity like they used to. It's deteriorated. Mm-hmm. So for, for this, um, you know, we see this happening more and more. Um, some of it, it's because we're kind of, um, I would say, sleepwalking, you know. A lot of people, like when mm-hmm. you look at your screen and you're watching something and you just kind of daze off, doze off mm-hmm. and you're just mm-hmm. looking and your brain activity kind of, stabilizes and you're not really thinking about what you're looking at and um one 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 issue is this screen time everybody has a lot of screen time now and we're looking at screens left and right whether oh, there's yeah, children right. or adolescents or adults or even seniors they all have phones now and they're looking at wide you know screens everywhere so that kind of numbs and dumbs the brain and causes uh and, you know it, it has a relation to this brain fog um, for that, we have treatments which, with IV treatments that we give you, you know, the B12s, the B-complex, other neurotransmitters that can kind of help you uh, uh, revive and rejuvenate your, your cells, you know, on the cellular level. Hmm. We have IV treatments for that at Genesis Medical Center, and we, uh, we have protocols for that as well. There are also um, stem cell therapies for Alzheimer's and dementia. Uh, that are being studied at different universities right now, and we do have protocols for that. It's better to be preventive than to let it get to a point where you're thinking, wow, you know, why did I let it get to this point? So if you you have any of those symptoms, you know, go get seen, come in and discuss it, and we'll have protocols for you to uh, kind of alleviate those symptoms. It's very important. That's fascinating. Screen time, oh, my God. You don't even want to know, right? I, you know, I, I'm one of those seniors that spends, you know, not just the phone, the the computer, you know, your your tablets. You know, I I rely on this thing, I, and I try to convince myself that I'm just energizing my brain because I'm I'm managing so many things, doing this radio show and promoting it, and getting my guests, and asking my questions, and spending the time on the computer. You know, I I spend enormous amounts of screen time. But I'm trying to be in better balance, and I recognize when I just need to step away, and I just have to be outdoors, and I have to take some deep breathing and relax those muscles and get those shoulders reduced and just take a deep breath and do some, as my very good friend would say, do some really good self-care because that's probably very vital for all of us too. Just like yourself, you know, you you work yeah. It's all about the consciousness. Yeah. If you're present and here mm-hmm. in the now, then you'll think about those things and you'll think about, you know, what's good for you and what's bad for you and what you're doing mm-hmm. right now and what you can do to kind of increase your oxygen level in your body and kind of clear your mind and do things that are beneficial for your body. It's very important. I would agree. 
This has been such a great hour, and I know that um, you, you set some time aside to do this on this special edition Thursday. I don't typically do my shows this day, but this topic is so important that whether people are listening live to the show or they come back later in the week or later this afternoon, that's fine. Your information is very, very important, and I just wanted to once again say that you can find you and what you offer is G-E-N-E-S-I-S-M-E-D-C-E-N-T-E-R.com. And Dr. Zar, I just I want to thank you for, I know your practice is very busy, and I just I appreciate you educating us and sharing with us just things that maybe people were unfamiliar with, including stem cell therapy and PRP. I mean, I've learned a great deal. And as these protocols continue, I, I, I've taken notes, and I, I understand that Duke is is now um, studying um, um, autism. It will be very interesting to see what those results are. But for today, I just want to thank you so very much for your time, your explanation, and your generosity in, in joining me on the show. No problem, Marsha. Thank you very much for having me, and it was a pleasure to be here. And I'm at your service anytime you want. It's been great to have everyone listen. Well, it sounds great. And so everybody have a wonderful rest of the afternoon, wherever it is you live, whether you're digging snow or you're planting flowers. Have a wonderful week. And join me next week on Monday when Derek and Dylan Volk will be talking specifically about autism. Thanks so much, everybody. I've enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Azar today. Bye for now.